people who are newsies really enjoy this work, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, like they, I, I work with a number of newsies and they, um, you know, they're really engaged in the product. They love the product. They want the product to succeed. This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. I had the pleasure of speaking with Jillian Akai, Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Chief Administrative Officer at Post Media Network Incorporated. We sat down at her offices downtown Toronto. We talked about where she came from, who she is, what contributed to her success, and what she does on a day-to-day basis in her role at Post Media. If you are interested in journalism and media, if you're interested in learning about working for a company at the forefront of an industry undergoing transformation, if you're interested in getting honest advice about what it's like to be in a general counsel role and how to get there, this one's for you. Sit back, enjoy. We'll see you soon. So, okay. <laughs> so I'll do kind of like a, a fake yeah, introduction. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll okay. Okay. Jillian, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, okay, what does Post Media do? Okay, so we do a lot of things, So, but I'll try not to make it a long answer. Um, so we started as a, a primarily a newspaper publisher, um, and in, you know, in the course of our history have had many uh, different publications under our umbrella. Um, now I'd say we are a multimedia company. Um, we have about 160 brands across um, multiple platforms. Um, and one important area that we have um, entered into is um, advertising, digital advertising and digital marketing services. Um, but, you know, at our core, I think we're still a very much a journalism company um, and, that, uh, and that hasn't changed. A few examples of your publications. Can we, National Post, mm-hmm. you know, being a kind of a flagship one, or right. at least, is that the only national yes. publication? Right. Yeah. Um, the the Sun Fleet, right. which I'll call it, like right. the Toronto Sun, Vancouver Sun, right. etc. And then a whole host of local, like mm-hmm. community, community papers, Community papers, right? yes. Um, and what, what else am I missing? A few um, magazines, I think there yeah, are? Yeah, uh, magazines, and then some online um, products as well, exclusively yeah. online products. Very nice. Um, so how would you describe the culture at Post Media? And l- let's talk about it. So we're in the Toronto office right now, which right. is the headquarters, correct? Right. Okay, so how, what's the culture like in this building? At so this building, um, you know, it's harder for me. It's disappointing for me because I don't get out to any of our other offices, um, and we are across Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in Toronto, I would say we are um, – it's – a challenging environment, and it's also a really exciting environment. Um, I think everybody knows that the newspaper industry, in particular, is is facing a number of challenges. It's a it's a tough industry. It's a tough slog, um, and that you know that can be um, difficult. On the flip side, what you find is um, really passionate people. People who are here are passionate about what they're doing, and they're fighting hard for what they think um, is important. Um, and the other element of it, you know, the other reason why it's exciting, I suppose, is that we're in the middle of transformation. So we're a severely disrupted industry and in trying to figure out how to exist in a new world. And that 
involves really shaking things up. I mean, when I started, um, which was about 12 years ago in, in, uh, at CanWest, um, we were, we were, we were a newspaper in a broadcasting company, but we were a traditional newspaper company. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the time I've been here, you know, you've seen how, how interesting it is to be forced to reinvent yourself. Um, and that's what we're doing. So from that ex- from that perspective, very exciting. And then the other, I think the other important thing with respect to culture is, at least in the legal department, um, but I think this is true everywhere within the organization, the fact that we're in transformation means there's some really cool work to be done. Mm-hmm. And from a legal perspective, uh, there's no question. There's really high quality, um, interesting, novel work that we get to do, which I think is, is very cool. What are a few of the biggest, I mean, obviously we're talking about um, kind of hard copy newspaper to online digital mm-hmm. being, uh, the, call that the umbrella transformation. Mm-hmm. But what, what are some of the other major transformations that post media might be going through right now? I think it's a question of trying to figure out, I mean, in the time I've been here, it's trying to determine how people, how consumers are consuming media, mm-hmm. how they want to consume media, where and when, um, what quality, all of those things. And again, it's interesting because in that time that I've been here, it's changed so much. Like, because it, because at first you sort of think, oh, it's, it's, it's primarily, as you said, newspaper to digital. It's, it's, it's more complicated than that. There are segments of um, the population that want certain things at certain times. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, my mom wants the newspaper delivered to her door every morning and she wants to drink it over coffee, um, read it over coffee. So that, you know, there's that segment. And then there's a very brand new generation of folks who have phones who want that information accessible to them all the time. And they want snippets, not uh, deep rich uh, commentary and analysis that probably my mom wants. And then there's all the folks in between, probably more like you and me. Um, and that's, I think, one of the challenges is figuring out how to harness those people, um, harness what they want and give it to them in the way they want it. Um, so I think that's the that's sort of the nuance of, of, of what you described. Yeah, it's an interesting sector. I mean, you must feel a little bit, at least at times, the ground sort of moving under your feet, right? Yeah, Which absolutely. Is, yeah. That can be exciting. Which is exciting. Yeah. And challenging. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, when, when things stay the same for too long, everybody yeah. gets bored. Yeah. No, it's true. And I, yeah. I will say, like, from the perspective of the legal department here, um, I mean, we have had busy, busy times where people have probably been tired, um, mm-hmm. but nobody has had the same job um, in the last 10 years here. We have all changed jobs because the role changes like it evolves and that's very neat because you don't have the opportunity to be bored okay how many people on the legal team um so we have four lawyers and we have um four support staff okay and is that that's in the toronto office yeah and that's all for across canada so we service um the entire organization um we use external counsel um for a number of areas one uh, important area would be um, litigation and defamation. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't have experts um, within our group to do that work. And interestingly, um, you know, the nature of that uh, area of the law is unique based on location. So it's important to have um, a local expert 
who knows that, and also who's physically able to be there. Right. Um, so that's an that's an area that we outsource, and we also outsource. I mean, expert, very niche expert areas. Um, an example to me would be like pension and benefits work. It's not stuff that we you know we can become experts in in short order. There are lots of great experts out there, so we we go to them. Do you take articling students? We have not ever taken an articling student, although we've had a number of summer students, yeah. which has been very cool. A great experience, I hope, for them, and a really good experience for us. Um, for us, I think it's great to have somebody young come in and somebody with a fresh perspective who hasn't been doing what we've been doing for a while, you sure. know, um, come in. And uh, and I think they, uh, I think they've had a good experience with us. We are a very um, close knit and kind of flat group, so. Mm-hmm. They get to touch it. Whatever they want to get, to, whatever they are interested in doing, they get to try. So it's been a good experience. And would those summer students apply online? Do you find everything on the website? They would, yeah, for sure. Okay. They would just apply through the website. So I want to talk about your role. Mm-hmm. I mean, your title, Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Chief Administrative Officer right. for Post Media Network Incorporated. Yes. All right. What do you do? What are you, what are you responsible for? <laughs> it's all so the titles are all made up. I don't really do very much here, um, but uh, so it's a wide variety of stuff, as evidenced by the title. Um, so I guess so. I'll talk about general counsel. That's Please. the yeah, kind of biggest great. role, I'd say, and that role is heading up our legal department. Um, so I'm responsible, obviously, for the, our our eight person team, our um, our budget, supervising external counsel, um, and then handling a certain number of files. Our our department is structured by, I'd say, responsibilities. So we have um, two lawyers who are you know, highly focused on operational work, um, two lawyers who are focused on, including me, um, transactions, securities, governance, um, policy type work. But really, as I said, we're a close-knit group. We end up overlapping and intersecting a lot. Um, so that's kind of the standard traditional general counsel role. Right. Um, as uh, executive vice president, I'm part of the exec management team. So it's a really close, um, relatively small team, and um, part of the um, all of our management committees and, and making strategic and, and business decisions, which is very cool and um, new for me because that I've really traditionally done legal work. Um, and but you then, have a dual JD MBA, right? I do, yeah. I do, yeah, from Osgood, um, uh, Osgood Chulik. And then um, as Chief Administrative Officer, I've taken on some specific r- new roles, um, one of which is sort of taking on part of the um, human resources function yeah. um, with the, within the organization, and um, and that's a brand new area for me. So um, cool and exciting, um, but weird because I don't know very much, um, and so rely heavily on are very knowledgeable and supportive um, HR team to work work through things with me. So with with those different functions, are you wearing different hats on a day-to-day basis or on a meeting-to-meeting basis? Mm -hmm. Are you finding that you have to shift gears a lot? Mm -hmm. Yes, I would say absolutely. And when you you look at, I think meeting-to-meeting is a good way to do it, and email-to-email. What I find I spend much of my day doing is, you know, there's a portion of my day that's my doing work where I'm reviewing or drafting or whatever it is. Um, and then a good portion of my day is meeting with folks or um, responding to emails um, where somebody's asking me to make a decision or work with them on how to move something forward. And so that's really, that type of work is very much um, a different hat in each role. Like it's a chief administrative hat or a general counsel hat or 
or EVP just sort of management strategy type hat. Um, so it's different. It's changing, and it's changing fast. So describe a week in the life for you, then. There what is, does it look like? There is no typical <laughs> week. Let, let's go with this week. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Okay, that's Although it's, it's only Wednesday. It's so. only Wednesday. Fair. Um, typical week involves, I probably have two, I do have probably two days of almost full meetings, mm -hmm. and they're kind of, there are a lot of standard meetings, which I don't love meetings. And the worst part about it, though, is that you just can't get anything else done. Like, that's the thing that bothers me most. So they are productive and they have to happen. But then I haven't done any of my, you know, what I feel is my own work. Right. And then the other days are very ad hoc. So I'd say it's phone calls, emails, and people coming into my office um, on a regular basis, just asking miscellaneous questions about the projects that they are running um, with me or for me. And then there are always you know, two or three at least fires to put out a week. Mm -hmm. um, and they're always different and interesting and surprise. Um, they can be HR related or a defamation claim or um, a governance issue. Like it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because you never really know what's going to come your way. And further, at least at this point in my career, I, I haven't seen all these things before. Mm -hmm. Like they're still new to me. So that's, yeah, that's the typical week. Atypical, but... <laughs> <laughs> typical for you? Yeah. And uh, so are we talking about 9 to 5? Are we talking about mm. 9 to 8? Do you take lunches? Okay, so um, I get in very late. I like to um, get my kids organized in the morning, so I come in quite late. And How many kids do you have? I have two, okay. um, 9 and 6. Certainly in the winter, getting snow pants on and boots and hats and gloves and all of that good stuff. Yeah, take some time. Um, and I, I made a decision that I didn't want to rush that part of my day. Um, it's an important part of the day for me. So, um, so I tend to um, start late. And um, I work with a lovely supportive group of people who um, do not book meetings for me before 9.30, which is nice. Good. Okay, so I get in about 9.30. I don't generally take lunch, um, but I do from time to time. And then I leave by 5.30, 5.45, and um, I generally go offline for a few hours um, until bedtime for the kids, and then um, I get back on. And so, you know, sometimes there's something going on, and so I'm active and, and, and sitting down at the computer and working, and much of the other time I am just going through emails on my phone and responding to things like that. Um, for the most part, I'd say I am, I am on call for certainly our senior team. Um, we, we, you know, as a family, we get calls at weird times um, from <laughs> from my colleagues, which is okay and not regular. Um, and people are very respectful of, of my time, um, and particularly my family time, which is nice. Good. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. Um, what is one defining characteristic about being? A lawyer for a for a media company, like if if somebody was thinking, if a law student is thinking to themselves, you know, I, I really like media. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested in how content gets published, mm -hmm. and I'm interested in, in the trends of how consumers are consuming mm -hmm. content these days. And I think I'd like to apply my legal skills in that area. Mm -hmm. You know, what what's one thing they should know, or what's one sort of overarching characteristic of the industry that that you feel is important for them to consider? Every, I'd say in-house counsel, generally, um, it's a funny thing, right? You, you're, 
many of us do a similar job in many different industries because mm-hmm. one could say we are all corporate commercial lawyers. Um, but what I think defines us, I mean, the skills are transferable for sure, but I think what defines the people who work well here is a real curiosity and interest in content and the protection of that content and um, and, and that can be both you know, articles and, and, and other elements but um, and a real interest if it's you know if you have it in journalism people who are newsies really enjoy this work you yeah. know um, yeah like they I, I work with a number of newsies and they um, you know, they're really engaged in the product. They love the product. They want the product to succeed. Um, and it makes it a lot easier to delve. You know what? It makes it easier to put yourself into the shoes of the business person you're working with because that person is passionate about the business and journalism and content and all those other things. That's a good answer. Cool. <laughs> all right. Let's learn a little bit about you. Okay. Okay, let's do some rapid... So many interesting things to talk about. <laughs> let's do some rapid fire questions. <laughs> okay. Okay, where's the last place you went on vacation? Oh, what was it? Oh, it was uh, Ellicottville for skiing. Wait, and when was that? March break. Very nice. With yeah. the whole family? Yes. Are you an avid skier? No. Okay. My husband and I are <laughs> terrible skiers, like exceptionally bad, and our kids are great skiers. Oh, so wow. we are trying to keep up. Yeah, we're doing our best. Good. What's your favorite show on Netflix? Scandal. What song is stuck in your head right now? Oh my gosh. That terrible Havana song. Do you know that song? I don't know. It's terrible. That's probably good that I don't. Yeah. I won't sing it for you because then it'll be in your head. I won't (laughs) do that to you. Hobbies? What's that? Hobbies. Um, Not skiing? So, poor skiing. (laughs) Poor tennis. um, I would say better quality painting. Good for you. um, And decent quality cooking. Really? Yeah. Not not uh, great. Not great. Are we talking abstract visual art or are you more of a... Realist. Realist? Yeah. Uh, what's the, what was the last subject of the painting you did? The last painting actually was abstract. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I've never done it before. I did it. There you go. Did I um, go to activity on a sunny summer day? Um, basketball in the um, in the driveway. Nice. It's, or mm-hmm. poor tennis. Yeah, right or poor tennis. Yes. Time. All right. And, I mean, um, my, my basketball is also poor. So. <laughs> what? Well, Maybe you're just modest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's your morning routine? Alarm goes off at this time. Right. And from there to getting the kids out the door, what does it look like? Right. So the alarm goes off and then I have to press snooze. Yeah. That's the first thing that happens. <laughs> what, what time do you get up? Then, early? Are you an early person? No. So um, my husband gets up really early and then I am not an early early bird, but the kids get me up. Yeah. So by seven o'clock, um, everybody's up. And so I'm forced to be up as well, but I'd prefer to be in bed. Um, and so we do breakfast together. We, um, read the newspaper or something together. We pack lunches and we do a little bit of homework and then we get ready for school. And then, um, while they're kind of on their way out, um, if I can, I'll do a quick workout and then get ready and I'm in for 9.30. Nice. Yeah. It's it's a lot to fit in in the morning, but I I don't think I can do... I think I wouldn't work out later if I, yeah. if I just waited. <laughs> so I can't do it later in the day. I have to do it in the morning. That's a good routine. Uh, so you have a family, obviously. Yes. Uh, I had my my first child six months ago. I have wow, a daughter. Amazing. So the, the topic of 
how how to be a good parent and also be a good lawyer and how to how to manage time is all very real to me and applicable. So I'm curious for you um, if you have any any tips or any um, methodologies that you use to to really to balance that and to to be focused when you're working on work and to be focused when you are working on a family. Yeah, no, I think it's such a good question, and I feel like. I feel like it is a eternal struggle, um, and you know certainly I watched my parents do it, and and I see my husband who works um, as well. Um, we both are doing it, and I really your husband's a lawyer. As my well. husband is a lawyer as well. We, I really think honestly, it's like every few days we talk about, you know, are we doing? How are we doing? How are we doing as parents? Are we doing the right thing? How much? How much? You know, what should we be doing? What should we adjust in the morning? What should we adjust in the evening? How how's it going for them? Um, and so I really do feel like it's a constant, for us, it's a constant learning and a constant attempt to improve. Um, but in terms of balance, I'd say that we, over time, have learned um, that we need to carve out sacred time and that we don't um, allow interference with family time. And you can't always do it. So we're, we, we, you know, as I said, my daily routine, that morning routine for me is sacred. I will absolutely adjust it if, if absolutely necessary, but I kind of make it, it, people know that that's what I would like to do with my time and they're respectful of it. And same with kind of getting out the door and nobody um, schedules meetings for me after 530, um, which I appreciate. They, they know they can get me in the evening though if they need me um, after the kids are in bed. The other thing I guess we do is try not to have our devices on us when we are with the kids. So I'm not saying when we were playing basketball in the driveway, I'm not saying we would never pick up our phones, but we don't have it on us and we don't have it, you know, we're not checking on a regular basis. And I have it, you know, what I have, what I have told people is if you need me urgently, just give me a call and I will have, my phone will be somewhere that I can hear it, but I'm not going to be checking regularly during that time. It's something that I feel like we've evolved our strategy and it's really, I'm very happy with it and I think the, the kids are happy with it. But it's a skill to be able to turn off your work brain. For me, at least, it, I have to force myself to turn off my work brain and turn on my family it's brain hard. and be present with them. I really focus on doing it, and it's and I'm getting better. Like I'm getting better at it, but it's always a struggle. Yeah. No, without a doubt, that is that is a. I think for me right now, the biggest mm -hmm. struggle is understanding how to you know in that time between leaving the office and stepping in front yeah. door to disengage from all the thoughts of the day because yes. as lawyers I think that's we like thinking about our work yes. and a lot of our success comes from sort of the you know the off hours right. thinking where you find creative solutions you think of ideas someone comes up you're like oh yeah they might have an answer um, so it is a challenge yeah. training right now but what I'm hearing from you is you know setting expectations is important mm -hmm. both, both with your work and, and with your family yeah. um, having some discipline yeah. to stick to your routines yeah. and stick to the time that you're devoting to whatever activity it is right. um, and setting up some boundaries yeah. where it's like, okay, I, I come in at 30 and I leave at 530 right. and, but you know, you can get me at these later yeah. hours. So you know, be fair, but yeah. fair, but somewhat firm in, in what you need right. in order to, to maintain that balance. Right. And you know, when I'm fortunate and I know not everyone is, I'm fortunate to have a, um, an environment and colleagues and a, and a, and a team that is, supportive of that and you know makes it easy on me yeah. which is great i also think you know i also think it's important to as you said it was a good point to set expectations with your kids because 
they should know when, you know, when something is important is happening at work that causes me to adjust the schedule that they are used to, I tend to explain to them, you know, what's going on because I want them to know that it's, you know, they are my priority and, and work is second, but sometimes you have to adjust. Yeah. And so I think it's important to share that with them too. That's a good point. Communication. When doesn't it come in handy? Huh? <laughs> okay. What are the main, I want to know what you feel is your main personal characteristic mm -hmm. or attribute that has contributed to your career success. Mm -hmm. I think I'd say being interested in being a, a team member, being mm -hmm. a good team member. You know, it's an interesting thing in-house. It's different from being external. When you're in-house counsel, your business person often perceives you as a roadblock. People would prefer not to come to legal. We slow them down. Yeah. Um, we tell them things they don't want to hear. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a reputation that I think most in-house counsel have. And our department works really hard at not being that. But in order to not be that, because the truth is sometimes people can't do what they want, or you know there are legal issues associated, or it takes us time to do work that slows them down. The thing that you know our team works on is putting ourselves in the from the perspective of the business, trying to understand what the business person is wanting to achieve um, and what is the highest priority for them, what is the most important thing to them. And when you do that, I think you get better as a lawyer at solving the pro a problem such that the solution is beneficial to both the business and you. Yeah. You can look at a you can look at a pro you can look at a business problem and say, okay, well, there's a legal issue here, so the answer is no. Or you could say there's a legal issue here, but I see what you're trying to do, so you can't do it the way that you proposed. But have you thought about doing it another way? It's an I think it's a really important perspective um, to take because the business I find that the business owner then really gets the feeling that you are part of their team, that you want them to succeed, that you're working with them to solve, you know, their problem. And it results in a really much more positive uh, working relationship. Mm -hmm. It also, I find, um, gets people, you know, the clients coming to you when they wouldn't otherwise. So, you know, a common issue in, in the in-house environment is people just don't come to legal if they don't want to hear <laughs> Hear the answer, um, and it's important to you know earn a relationship or earn a reputation that shows that you're, you know, you're reasonable and wanting to work with them and be a good team member. Yeah, collaborative and open. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's that's a good answer too. Um, I think that I've I've had a few work experiences where people are not collaborative as they could be, mm -hmm. and my perspective was that the reason is. Everyone was a little bit too worried about protecting their own reputation, mm -hmm. and that created an environment where people wanted to pass the buck a little right. bit, right? And it's like, well, no, I've covered my base, right. not my problem, you go deal. Right. And when, when that's the case, there's not as much collaboration, right. and there's not as much willingness for people to work together. Being a good team member, Agreed. being open to what other people need, mm -hmm. and, like, respecting that. Respecting I mean, that, yeah. It's yeah, good. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about your career progression. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, we, we said, so Osgood Schulich, mm -hmm. Jewel JD, mm -hmm. uh, MBA. And then you uh, you worked in private practice for a handful yes. of years coming yes. right out. Right? Yes. Did you article at Fraser Milner? I did. 
Cass Green and Cass Green. Green. Yeah. So I summered, articled, um, and then stayed there as an associate for four years. And you did. You were basically you were a corporate associate. I was right? corporate. I worked within um, specifically in the IT group. Um, so I had an IT focus, but um, definitely part of the general corporate group. And then you went to Can West in 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. what precipitated that change? Yeah. You know, um, I think people talk a lot about between third and fifth year is the sweet spot for making a move from a firm. And for me, I guess it was a couple things. One was I was looking around the firm. I had a great experience. Like I, I loved the people there. I thought the work was great. I really liked it there. Um, and I looked around and thought, I don't know if I see myself as a partner here in 10 years or whatever it is. And I'm enjoying the commercial work that I'm doing which would be much of the in-house work that I would be doing. So I thought, now's the time to try to make a change and see what it's like. If I dislike it, I can probably make my way back to a firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I don't make the move now, I don't know if I ever get the chance to try this. So for me, it was more of a, it felt like a small window of opportunity, so I should give it a shot. And in that context, though, I, w- I hadn't really actively started looking in this Can West opportunity came up. Um, you know, it seemed like a um, it seemed like a novel and interesting area to me, and uh, I liked the, the nature of the work that I was going to do. It seemed like a good kind of fit for me, so so I took a chance. And then I did not think I would be here <laughs> this long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're coming on what two thousand six? What is this? Twenty? Yeah. yeah, a decade and change. Yeah. For the listeners, so Can West mm-hmm. was actually purchased by Postmedia Post Media, yeah. in 2010. Yes, I think so. 20, so the, right. the 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 publishing assets of of Can, Can West at that time owned both publishing and broadcasting assets. The two divisions were kind of split off, and Postmedia purchased the publishing assets at that time. Um, that was. Um, we emerged out of CCW protection, and um, and it was a cool it was a cool time for for the legal group certainly, but I think for much of the organization there was a, a rejuvenation, um, an excitement about you know what the future was to hold. From the legal group's perspective, it was interesting because the corporate um, Can West legal department went away. They went with the the broadcast side and ultimately um, were dismantled, I suppose. Um, but we were sort of. Toronto was the operational hub, and um, we were all accustomed to doing operational work. And all of a sudden, we had you know, securities obligations, securities reporting obligations, um, debt mm. reporting obligations, um, you know, a board to structure and to populate and to inform and educate. And it was a brand new company. It was like starting from scratch, which was challenging at the time. But really cool from my perspective because it's none of those areas had I practiced in. So when you construct something from the ground up, you learn it. Yeah. And so I learned it, uh, which was yeah, it was a neat experience. Nice. Okay. So and you went from with with Ken West, you went from a council position mm-hmm. where you, I assume you reported to either the general counsel or yeah. the assistant general, general counsel. General counsel, yeah. And then you went to the director of legal affairs mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. And is that the same level as general counsel or is that? No, no. So uh, it kind of goes legal counsel and director. And I was at that point relatively junior and I was doing operational um, operational work. And then uh, when I became VP, 
I continued some operational work, but then took on all of this other responsibility. So corporate secretarial was the big component, um, securities reporting, um, transactions, uh, those became kind of more of my focus at the VP level. Do you do more business or more law in your current role? In the current role, I do far more business than law, which is new for me. What's a current area of your skills and knowledge that you would like to improve, and how are you going to improve it? Okay, so HR is, as I said, brand new for me. Um, I feel like I'm... When you're wearing your chief administrative officer hat. Yeah, and I feel like I'm the least knowledgeable person in the entire you know, 12th floor of our office because people know what they're doing. They're Where to go smart. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I t- my, yeah, my goal is to set expectations low, and so people will be impressed with whatever I learn. Um, but, you know, again, like, great group of people. So um, I do a lot of asking questions and asking people to take me through not only the basics of whatever the area of law or area of law or either sort of HR area is. I also ask a lot about... Um, what did, you know? What have we done in the previous years in this particular, you know, in this situation similar to this? You know, you learn so much by looking back at what people have done, what they're, you know, what, what they've done well and what they haven't done well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do a lot of asking questions. Feel that my success will depend on how patient people are with those questions. We'll see how it goes. I, I believe, in based on my experience and from everyone I've spoken to in the law school show that some of the best advice for law students and young lawyers is to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I think too, too many folks in, in at, at that stage of their career are afraid that asking questions is perhaps a sign of vulnerability, mm-hmm. or perhaps they believe that they, they should know everything already. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously just not the case. Right. And being, having a willingness to be a little bit vulnerable and ask some questions and, and show that you don't know something often leads to more knowledge than you otherwise would have procured. But that's benefited me and obviously it's something you're still doing now, you know. Absolutely. And yeah. I really I think that's such an important point because I think as I as a that that's a lesson that I've learned over time. I am not uh, inclined to I, I'm not inclined to ask everybody every question and I am better at it now than I used to be. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I'd say with that is it's important to show people that you've done some diligence and some thought. Mm-hmm. Um, before asking the question, um, and I just find that people are very respectful of, or very, they're sorry, they are happy that you have been respectful of their time because you've shown that you've 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 looked into something or thought, given it some thought or whatever right. it is, and come to them with sort of a well thought out question. Um, I think that's an important qualification on the yeah <laughs> I, I, question that, asking for sure. Don't be lazy. Yeah, ask good, don't be ask lazy. good questions. Yes, ask good questions. Yeah, but no, but no questions a bad question. Just have thought yeah. about it first, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's bang on. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, your law school experience, mm. Osgood Hall. Yes. All right. What were you like as a law student? Not that interesting. Um, quite boring. I went to class and I studied. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very boring. Yeah. So you were? Did did you did you feel like okay? I need to be focused on my studies and that's that's why I'm here and that's what I'm going to do and I'm, I don't have that much 
time or energy to be social yeah. or to like <laughs> yeah. um, work no. on my tennis skills I wish that or were play, true. Yeah. play basketball. Right. You're like, no, no um, I want to focus. I want to do well. I'm here to learn. That I, was your approach. No, I, well, a little bit. I mean, which is totally I'm a, cool. I, I, no, I'm totally. Just... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like by nature, I'm a studious person. So that was my, sort of my natural inclination. And, um, you know, at the time I had a sick parent and was spending a lot of time taking care of them. And it wasn't a bad time of my life. Like I spent a lot of time with my parents and I spent the rest of the time studying and then ultimately met my husband. So he would say, of course, that this was the best period of my life. Um, you know, <laughs> that, that I had the opportunity to meet him. Did, did you meet at law school? We did. Yeah. Yeah. He what, was in the what, joint what degree as well. Um, we were in commercial law together. Um, um, very romantic. It's so romantic. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I did very well in that course. So I think that that's probably <laughs> what attracted him to me. Probably. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, no, but law school was, a, it was a, it was a real, it was a good experience. It was a, it was a good time in my life. I didn't, and I also, I liked law school a lot. Like I enjoyed the work. I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting and yeah, it was a good experience. Was there anything about Osgood Hall that you found particularly appealing? Or about doing the, the dual JD MBA that you found particularly appealing? So the thing I'd say about Osgood is, um, and I didn't even get the benefit of it uh, all the time, but one cool thing about Osgood is that I know they have some really great practitioners who also te- teach courses. Mm. I did not have the benefit of um, learning. That is valuable. Yeah, and I don't. I can't speak to other schools, so I don't want to um, indicate that other schools don't have that as well. But I, you know, Osgood is in Toronto. It, they have access to, I'm going to say, um, you know, tier one uh, corporate firms. So if you're interested in that area, I imagine you have access to some great practitioners. I did not get the benefit of learning um, securities law from Dale Lastman, um, but I've since had the opportunity to work with him, and I really wish I'd taken his course. So, you know, Osgood is really neat from that perspective. Um, I, I like the, the joint degree was great. Um, I think that it, what it did for me was I didn't have business experience. So many people go into the MBA and they will have worked first um, and then go and do their MBA. I did not. And so what it gave to me before I got into practice was a little more business sense both from the sort of academic side, but to be honest, from the exposure to all the people who I got to go to school with who were accomplished mm-hmm. people already. Um, and that was a good, that was really good for me. I, it gave me a little more sophistication and seasoning that I would have otherwise not had. Did you decide to do the, the dual degree before you started? or did, is that when Before, you yeah, before yeah. I started. And what, what was your general rationale? At the time, I mean, I knew that I, I've known for a long time I wanted to be a lawyer, um, but I thought that I was leaning towards um, sort of business, corporate, who, who knows quite where in that in that yeah. zone, but somewhere. And so it felt like the MBA was a natural fit, and not every school has it, but, you know, Osgood was where I wanted to go, so they had it. Why not take the opportunity? Mm-hmm. I, I like your point about the practitioners teaching courses. On my experience, I would certainly recommend that to law students mm-hmm. if, if they're you know, if they have two options and oh, one's yeah. to take a course that's taught by someone who is in practice and doing law day to day, you certainly get a different perspective. Perhaps being over overly generalistic, it's less theoretical and more yeah. practical, which is something that in my, I went to the University of Ottawa mm-hmm. and um, I, I was looking for a little bit more practical right. knowledge. Yeah, I think I, if you have a chance, 
try to. Yeah, no, that's that. a, it's a really good point. And, and you and I were talking about before we started, but law school is so different than practice. So and different. the only way you get a little peek into the window of, you know, what practice is like is dealing with a great practitioner who, who's describing the real world, world to you, which is very cool. It is. What is one thing you would have done differently in law school? I would have taken securities with Gail Asman. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell him that I've given him a lot of shout-outs. Okay. Shout <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I would have I, I would have paid more attention in securities and probably accounting and MBA. Uh, I, just, I didn't quite know how useful those things would be, nor did I know that I would ever practice securities law. What is the piece of advice you want to give law students about their career and about finding a fulfilling and, and, and meaningful job in law? I think I'd say that they should take the opportunity to try to get a sense of what practice is like in their their area of interest. It's not always what is on TV, um, and that <laughs> it's if you don't have exposure to the practice area, it's hard to figure out what it's going to be like. Also, be open to other areas. You just never know what you're going to be interested in. When I articled, um, I did, uh, you know, I thought I was interested in, 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 in corporate and business. Um, and then I had this amazing litigation rotation, which, you know, distracted me for a little while. Um, and ultimately, I didn't end up there. But I really loved uh, the work. I loved the people. And you never know where great opportunity is going to come your way. So you know, I think you have to be open to those things. And I find you know, when you talk to um, relatively senior lawyers about how their career progressed, they all say that. They all say they started one place and they ended up somewhere completely different. Like, be ready for that ride and be open to it. It probably gets you somewhere pretty good. Yeah. Well said. Did we miss anything? No, I, that's very comprehensive. I, I feel we like we it. covered everything. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice, right to your earbuds.